0: Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain and I'm a writer and creative writing tutor and you are listening to episode 8 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. In this episode, I'm going to look at the question of when you start your story and what I mean by just-in-time storytelling. As usual, I'm going to use examples to show you what I mean. Before I get started, I want to remind you that you can post comments and suggestions on this and other podcasts in the series at Goodreads. Just go to goodreads.com and search for the Creative Writer's Toolbelt group. You can also follow us on Twitter where our account name is at Writer's Toolbelt. So there's an imperative for creative writers, especially if you're writing short fiction, and that is that you need to start with a bang, not a whimper. You need to compel the reader to continue reading right from the first sentence. Now, many of us know this, but it's easy to fall into the trap of indulging ourselves by setting the scene, creating the mood, and giving our work the introduction that we think it deserves. Maybe we find it easy to channel those classic 19th century novels that we might have read, where the first part of the book is given over to a lengthy and expansive introduction. And to give you an example of that, I want to read you the first paragraph of David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. Whether I shall turn out to be the hero of my own life, or whether that station will be held by somebody else, these pages must show. To begin my life with the beginning of my life, I record that I was born, as I have been informed and believe, on a Friday, at 12 o'clock at night. It was remarked that the clock began to strike, and I began to cry simultaneously. Now there's a lot more after that, but I hope you get the point. And Dickens can get away with this, thanks to his genius, and the fashion of novels from his era. If you are a creative writing genius, and you can get away with this kind of start, and publishers will buy your work, and people will read it, well then, very good for you. If, however, you aren't sure that you can get away with it, then you need to learn the art of working out where your story really begins. Consider this example. I've written it myself, mainly so that I am at perfect liberty to pick it apart, swap it about, and say what's right and wrong with it. Rufus Tavistock got on to his horse. He looked around himself and then on into the forest in front of him, the green leaves growing darker as he peered into the interior of the woods. He frowned and thought about his family, his father and also the domestic staff who would be waiting for him preparing a bed and maybe arranging a small meal for his arrival. He frowned again and knew that he had to make this journey, even though it would be done at great peril, because he was going to be travelling through dangerous territory. He leaned forward and whispered to his mare, seeking to calm the beast as they stood at the edge of the forest. Easy, girl, he said, easy. He patted the side of her head before he sat up and looked around. The sun was now mostly set in the west and the light was fading. Ahead of them was the old road to Bath, a passage through the forest that had built up a terrible reputation over recent years. Cutthroats, highwaymen and villains of every description lay in wait amongst the old oaks. These were men who, in Rufus's estimation, deserved no better fate than to be sent to the colonies. He looked again into the gloom of the woods ahead of him, and listened to the rustling leaves and the deeper moan of the wind amongst the branches. He no more wanted to enter this wood than his horse did, and he had a much better sense of the threats that might await them than the old mare ever would. Come on, girl, he said, in as resolute a tone as he could muster, goading the horse into action. They stumbled into the forest at a slow pace, images of ruffians filling Rufus's mind as the canopy closed over their heads. The light started to dim, and the life of the woods surrounded them. The coolness of the air, the scent of the leaves underfoot, the stark twigs and branches of the oaks above them as they passed. Rufus would not have chosen to travel at such notice this evening, but he had received an urgent message calling him home where his ageing father lay sick, and may even now be slipping into the next world. This was the father who had lately transferred his affections to Rufus, who had always compared young Rufus to his heroic older brother, a brother who had tragically been taken by consumption at the tender age of just 22. Now the old man was left with one son, the younger one, the less loved one, for the last four years rufus had borne the burden of only son it was he to whom the estate would pass it was he who would have to shoulder the responsibilities of office he was the one also who had most mourned the passing of their dear mother the woman who had defended him many a time against a demanding and overbearing father the forest around reminded him of the wood on the estate back home the trees where he would run and hide sometimes when he could not face another beating the hoot of a disturbed owl jolted him from his reflections Around about the gathering gloom of twilight made the interior of the forest dark and foreboding. He looked down at the carpet of leaves below him, slowly passing, as his horse continued her weary way. And he thought about the rumours he'd heard, the thieves and robbers that lived in these woods. Were they just tales that old men told each other in local inns to scare themselves? Rufus Tavistock felt the itch of fear on the back of his neck. Sat astride his mare, Bessie, he peered into the gloom of the forest. The horse snorted and shook her head. "'Well, Bess,' he said, leaning forward. "'The forest seems very quiet here. "'I think we're on our own, old girl. "'Now gee up!' Responding to her owner, the horse broke into a trot. The woods around them did seem quiet, but then Rufus spied the narrow gully that marked the midpoint of their journey. He knew that they were making good progress, but he did not know that the gully also gave perfect vantage for the man who had been watching their approach. He crouched in an ancient fold of an old ash tree trunk in his favoured position for an attack and waited. So this start has the makings of a potentially interesting story, but one of the problems with it is there is too much scene setting, too much backstory at the beginning. It may be that the reader needs to know some of this information, but that means that I'm going to have to seed that essential stuff in during the course of the story. And I can use some of the techniques that I describe in the first five episodes of the creative writer's tool belt, which are all about showing, not telling, to help me do that. But if my objective as a writer is to grab the reader right from the start, then I've probably failed. I've started in the wrong place. I've started, in fact, too early in the in the story. So what can I do? Well, if I was feeling slightly brave, I'd cut the first paragraph down. All that stuff about domestic staff preparing Rufus's bed and maybe a meal for him, that would all go. The second thing i do is to cut all the detail about the reputation of the road to Bath. I don't need to tell the reader how dangerous the journey is, I can do a much better job by simply showing it. Finally, I might cut all that family history stuff about Rufus's late mother and how he came to be the only son. Now it could be that these are essential pieces of information, but I don't need to share them at the start of the story. That's what I'd do if I was feeling quite brave. But if I was feeling very brave, I'd do something even more radical. I'd fast-forward through the first 600 words of this 750-word introduction to the point where the sentence is Rufus Tavistock felt the itch of fear on the back of his neck. That's where I'd start the story. And that gets us into Rufus's emotional state immediately. And it's not long after that before we're introduced into the environment he's in, the setting, which is the forest, and the antagonist who's lurking in the trees. And I'd probably even edit those 150-odd words down to tune up that beginning. Let's just listen to that again. Rufus Tavistock felt the itch of fear on the back of his neck. Sat astride his mare, Bessie, he peered into the gloom of the forest. The horse snorted and shook her head. Well, Bess, he said, leaning forward, the forest seems very quiet here. I think we're on our own, old girl. Now gee up. Responding to her owner, the horse broke into a trot. The woods around them did seem quiet, but then Rufus spied the narrow gully that marked the midpoint of the journey. He knew that they were making good progress, but he did not know that the gully also gave perfect vantage for the man who had been watching their approach. He crouched in the ancient fold of an old ash tree trunk in his favoured position for an attack and waited. Now everything you need as the reader is there in that start to get you into the story. All the details of Rufus's life and his family and the domestic arrangements and all the rest of it, that can come later. Now I want to give you three more examples from some of the finest writers to see how they have used gripping and provocative first lines or first couples of lines in their stories to grab the reader. And my first example is from Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. And this tells the story of a government worker, ironically called a fireman, whose job it is to burn books. This is how that story starts. It was a pleasure to burn. It was a special pleasure to see things eaten to see things blackened and changed. Now this start tells us something immediately about the theme of the book and it also hints at the mental state of our protagonist. But It's a very strange and unusual start and as the reader I'm now provoked by some questions. What is it that's being burnt? Who is this person that's doing the burning? Why do they take such pleasure in it? So I want to continue to read to find out more about the protagonist and the story itself. Here's my second example which is the first sentence from The Gunslinger, which is the first book in Stephen King's Dark Tower series. The man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. So in just that first sentence, we're introduced to two key characters. We're given a setting, which is the desert, and we're given some sense of intrigue and some sense of drama because we're seeing one character pursuing the other. Immediately, I want to know who these people are, why one is pursuing the other, and what the story is about. My third and final example is from Peter and Wendy by J.M. Barry. The first sentence of this book is this. All children except one grow up. Now that is a genius first sentence. It's so simple and yet within it we find a kind of oblique introduction to this character, this intriguing protagonist Peter Pan and we want to know why he doesn't grow up. We want to know what he does. Very often It's the simple sentences that are the most compelling ones at the beginning of a story. These are great writers, and they use the opening sentences of their work to attract the reader. And notice in all three cases, there's no attempt to create any context for these stories. There's no attempt to explain things to the reader at the beginning. All of that can wait. It's getting the reader's interest first that's the main thing. So as you go back and look at your own work in the light of this, I'd offer you three pieces of advice. One, grab the interest and intrigue your reader from the first sentence. It doesn't have to be action, but it has to be something that's going to capture the interest and the curiosity of your reader. Grab it in the first sentence and hold on to it. Second piece of advice. From that first sentence in the first few paragraphs of your story, establish what you've started. Create the scene with just enough detail to provoke questions in the reader's mind. And th- number three, if you do have essential information in your story, seed it in later. Put as little as possible up front. Use only what you need to to capture the reader. So with all this in mind, I'd encourage you to go back to the first sentence and maybe the first few paragraphs of your current project and ask yourself the question, do I capture the reader with my first sentence? Do I keep hold of them through the first few paragraphs? And my hope is that what you've heard here will help you to create such a compelling start to your work that your readers, like flies around a picture plant, will not be able to resist being captured. So in today's podcast, I have quoted from David Copperfield by Charles Dickens, which is in the public domain. Fahrenheit451 by Ray Bradbury, published by Harper Voyager. The Gunslinger by Stephen King, published by Hodder Paperbacks. And Peter and Wendy by J.M. Barrie, published by Penguin Classics. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you want to comment or leave any suggestions, just go to Goodreads. That's goodreads.com. Look up the Creative Writers Tool Belt. You can leave a comment there. Podcast has a Twitter account which is at writerstoolbelt. My thanks to the guys at podcastthemes.com for providing the theme music and thank you to you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.